welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a little bit of the Sundance Film Festival to you. We discuss two movies that played at Sundance, along with one non-Sundance film, plus a few other fun things thrown in along the way. Today we will be discussing The Kings of Summer, Adam, and Thunder Force. I'm Jessica. And I'm Dylan. As usual, before we get into our main discussion, I have to ask, Jessica, did you experience anything this week that you would like to discuss? I might have. I can't wait. As our five listeners are not aware, Paul McCartney released an album last year called McCartney 3, and it was kind of a big deal, and I won't get into the reasons why it was a big deal, but just know it was a thing. Last Friday, which was April 16th, I think, he released 3 Imagined, which is an album full of his songs from McCartney 3 that are remixed or covers from different artists, and I thought it was really cool because he works with a lot of indie artists that I'm a big fan of including the ones that have gotten bigger in recent years like Phoebe Bridgers and St. Vincent. So those were dope. But he also worked with Blood Orange, which... Oh, nice. Yeah, I really love him and I think he's very underrated, but he's also worked with a lot of cool people like Solange and I want to say Twin Shadow, but I'm not really sure. But the song that he does, he doesn't sing a lot on it, but it's perfect for him. So I just like to imagine the phone call that happened between Paul McCartney and Blood Orange and just talking and it it makes me pleased as punch. They have such similar similar backgrounds that <laughs> it must have went very smoothly. Yes. Paul wasn't actually in studio with the artist working. Yeah, he said in recent interviews he didn't know exactly who was going to work on it. They just kind of sent out feelers and asked different people. And then the people who are working on it didn't know the other people who are working on it. Hmm. And there's also Beck on there, which is pretty cool, and a few others. So if you want to listen to that, I think you should give it a try. If you don't, that's cool. If you want to listen to McCartney 3, go for it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, you played this as we drove to get our taxes done, which was fun. <laughs> but you played me Phoebe Bridgers and St. Vincent and another one. Dominic Fike, I think yeah. his name was. And I like them all. I need to revisit McCartney 3 after being away from it for a few months to see if I enjoy it more. But I enjoyed these covers. <laughs> if you like the artist, I think you'll probably at least like to see what they did with these McCartney songs. Yes. So Dylan, what did you want to discuss? Okay, I have a couple things that I would like to discuss real quick. So I watched the 1950 MGM musical Annie Get Your Gun starring mm-hmm. Betty Hutton as the legendary sharpshooter Annie Oakley. And basically for those who don't know, Annie Oakley was one of the best sharpshooters of all time. And she starred in a traveling attraction show called Buffalo Bill's Wild West Show. Mm-hmm. And this movie had me for a while. It did a lot of things right, but then did a lot of things wrong, in my opinion. I know this is a classic musical, and there's only so much that they can do with it. It was made four years after the Broadway show Mm. had debuted, but this is a 1950s musical, and there's just elements that really rub me the wrong way. Before I get to those, I just want to say I I didn't really know what to expect going into it. There's a lot of songs in here that are very famous I did not know were from this. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no business like show business, and anything you can do, I can do better. Yeah. 
Sorry, apologies for my singing. I am not a singer. <laughs> like I told you, my high school put on this play, and I think I remember whenever I was watching it being like, oh, wow, these songs are from this, yeah. because I know a lot of the songs from that. Jessica, let me ask you, was the show a huge success at your high school? Actually, I remember it being so, and I remember having fun watching it, but I cannot remember the story very much at all, except that she shoots a gun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mostly, it's a very strange movie because Annie is depicted to be a love-struck yokel and (laughs) there's a man in the movie who she in real life she did end up marrying who was the star attraction of the show before she came on board but from the moment she sees this kind of debonair fellow and who's all put together and Mm -hmm. all the women are fawning over him she's starry-eyed she's very animated in her expressions it's almost like an episode of I Love Lucy where her jaw will drop like two feet or like the cartoon wolf (laughs) yes it's very strange and she gets kind of flustered every time she's around him but most of my problems with the show lies within this depiction of this romance Mm -hmm. because he wants a genteel white gloved woman and they have to take annie from being basically a woodsy nymph with her (laughs) siblings and transform her into a proper lady who like my fair lady yeah (laughs) she still has her 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 wild energy exactly people of the woods (laughs) yeah it it comes through whenever it's she's co-mingling with other people So she's trying to get over that, and he hates that she's a better shot than him, basically. Mm -hmm. Just like a man. (laughs) And the solution in the end, this is not really a spoiler, because you know they're going to get together. But the solution for the movie is for her to, of course, dim her light and pretend that she is not as good of a shot as him. Ew. (laughs) Ew. Boo. Boo this movie. Because he needs to feel better, and Annie needs to pretend to not be as good as she actually is. So that really rubbed me the wrong way. I was mostly enjoying this movie for the most part. But then whenever it got to her saying, I guess I got a miss on purpose. I was like, why? Just to make him feel better? This is ridiculous. That's gross. Yeah. So that made me irritated. (laughs) And the other part of the movie that was uncomfortable was the depiction of Native Americans, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... They do have some Native Americans playing Native Americans, but it's the background ones. The main, (laughs) the main, like, chief of the movie who adopts Annie as one of, yeah, (laughs) your eyes are bugging out as they should. I'm not trying to just tell everything about this movie, but this guy, he's played by an Italian American. Ew. Yeah. (laughs) Who I read was famous for playing all these different ethnicities. That was like his thing. Yikes. And he had a moniker that basically played up how he could play any race. And I was like, ooh, that's problematic. (laughs) And there's even a song in there that was apparently cut from future productions of the show called I'm an Indian 2. Oh, I think I've heard that actually. Yeah. I think you were on the couch when I was watching Judy Garland was originally going to play okay, yeah. this version, but she got on pills and <sighs> she couldn't finish the production. So there's some deleted scenes that you can see it on the Blu-ray disc. And... But I think I remember whenever you were watching that and I heard the song, I think I've heard it before that though, because I was like, this is familiar too. Yeah. The, li- the lyrics there a bit rough just naming off different types of indians and being like i'm like this i'm an indian too and i was like oh boy yikes there's a lot of good things about the movie there are some positive depictions of annie in the movie but then it just kind of ruins it in the end and throws away all the goodwill (laughs) 
But if you don't mind that and you're a fan of the movie itself, the Warner Archive Blu-ray that came out is very nice. It's very beautiful and very I, nice. Very nice. <laughs> but I would recommend it. But it's just kind of rough to watch from a modern perspective for some of these things. Yeah. Less problematic, in my opinion, <laughs> we watched the 1996 Mike Lee drama Secrets and Lies, mm-hmm. which was a Best Picture nominee that year. And the movie, for those who don't know, it's about a well-educated black middle-class woman who is adopted as a baby who chooses to seek out her biological mother after her adoptive mother dies. And what she discovers is that her birth mother is a working class white woman with a her own dysfunctional family. And it's about all of these families uncovering all of these secrets from the past and yeah, uncovering the secrets <laughs> and the lies. And the lies. <laughs> What a great title. But I really love this movie. I thought it was really, really good. Criterion, uh, they just put out a new Blu-ray of it that is excellent. And whenever I look back at the year that this was nominated for Best Picture, keeping in mind I haven't seen the actual winner, which is The English Patient, I would probably put this second behind Fargo out of all of the movies because it was also nominated against Shine and Jerry Maguire, which I like this more than Jerry Maguire. So Hmm. I thought this was an excellent movie. It has Timothy Spall in it, who plays Peter Pettigrew in the Harry Potter (laughs) franchise, and he is so good in this movie. I enjoyed him as Brenda Blethlin's brother in the movie, who plays the mother. This is the best I've ever seen Timothy Spall. He has a very interesting, gentle energy that's, that's very paternalistic, and it's just hard to explain. I just really enjoyed it. It's Mike Lee He's a master of subtlety and foreshadowing. The story itself about a black woman figuring out she has a white mom seems like it could be over the top, but it's handled very subtly with a lot of nuance, which I appreciated. And he tackles issues of class disparity. And did you like the movie? What do you think? (laughs) I enjoyed the movie. It was really hard with her family. It was uncomfortable because I hated how much they stepped on her. The main character who was the woman's mother. Oh, yeah. I forgot her name, her character's name, but I didn't like how her family treated her because it's like she couldn't do anything right and it was really frustrating and they always put down everything, even her own daughter, her other daughter yeah. was just putting her down constantly. So it made me want to punch them all. But And then her sister-in-law was a bit much at times. <laughs> Because she was a bit much, but then something happens where you're like, oh, okay, I empathize with her. And they have a moment and they come together. But she was very hateful at times. And even though I liked the movie, some of the times whenever the the mom, the main woman, yeah. <laughs> whenever she was crying and, you know, kind of having... Inner feelings. Yeah, like having a fit at times, it was grating to me because it was hard to listen to her try to talk, but then just start doing that. And it was almost every scene that she was in so with the second half of the movie mainly because it would be in the middle of an important conversation or moment and then she would start doing that and then I would be taken out of it so it just kind of got on my nerves a bit she's dealing with a lot Jessica I know she is but it was a little grating it's not the worst but it was a little much I just really appreciate how this movie makes these characters reckon with their past regrets and all of their secrets and yeah. even at almost two and a half hours I think it flew by for me 
I was just really engrossed in the story. It's a very dense film, but I think it's very rewarding. And if you don't want to spring for the Criterion Blu-ray, if it's a blind buy for you, I would recommend checking it out on HBO Max. It's on there currently, but if you like it as much as I do, you'll probably want to purchase it. If you want more cohesive thoughts from me, I have a review of it on geekvibesnation.com that you can check out. Dylan, there's something I need to know right now. It's on my mind. Speak your truth. Shall we Sundance? Hell yeah. My parents are killing me. So you wore the blue shirt today, not the one with the pocket? Yeah. Whoa. Rope in the attitude, mister. This Come is on, your mother buddy. you're speaking to. Come on. Huh? Huh? Who is he doing a show for? Girl check. <laughs> Checking for a girl in a bikini. What could you be showing me in the woods right now? This is the side of our new house, man. What, like a tree house? No, like a real house. No parents, no one telling us what to do. We make the rules. The Kings of Summer is the feature directorial debut of Jordan Voigt Roberts, and it stars Nick Robinson, Moises Arias, Gabrielle Basso, Alison Brie, Aaron Moriarty, and Nick Offerman. The film premiered in the U.S. Dramatic Competition section of the 2013 Sundance Film Festival under the title of Toy's House. Joe Toy, who is on the verge of adolescence, finds himself increasingly frustrated by his single father Frank's attempt to manage his life. Declaring his freedom once and for all, he escapes to a clearing in the woods with his best friend Patrick and a strange kid named Biagio. He announces that they are going to build a house there, free from responsibility and parents. Once their makeshift abode is finished, the three young men find themselves masters of their destiny, alone in the woods. With their newfound freedom comes a new series of highs and lows. I had really high expectations for this movie. You got me the Blu-ray quite a while ago, I'm pretty sure. And we finally got around to watching it. And I have to say, it kind of disappointed me. This seemed like a movie that was tailor-made for me. I love coming-of-age stories and tales of rebellion and just guys being guys, (laughs) just off the grid, just being crazy. The movie itself, it had me for quite a bit of the movie, but it never really seemed to come together in the end. Most because the main character of Joe was kind of insufferable near the end and kind of a bitch baby. (laughs) I know that's kind of the point because he is learning about himself and learning about life and all that (laughs) that jazz. But just some of the decisions he makes and how he treats both his friends and the girls and women in his life is just, it rubs me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. I appreciated much of the humor in this movie. It was kind of offbeat and funny, but it seemed to play more broad than it needed to. It didn't seem to get to the heart of the matter as much. It didn't go all the way as it probably should have. It was okay. It just kind of lost me near the end. Yeah, I can agree. I was also pretty excited to watch this one because I thought it was going to be really good and touching. And I also really like coming-of-age stories, even if it's young men. I find them compelling, but this one wasn't really connecting well with me. Some of the things were funny, like the character 
Biagio. Yeah, Biagio. He was probably the funniest Mm -hmm. for me, but I just think the writing wasn't great for me. Some of their personalities and character traits I didn't like, and it was very, very teenage boy, and I know that's their teenage boys, and they're still learning and everything, but also, I mean, at the end, still no one really taught them anything, and whenever Joe is treating that young girl that he wants to be his girlfriend, but, you know, things happen or whatever, Mm -hmm. and he treats her really badly, and everything, that whole confrontation, it made me really irritated, and I was just like, all right, I think I'm pretty much done with this movie, so I didn't really connect after that, but even after him treating her that way, at the end of the movie, he he still didn't learn anything from it, and he didn't learn that women aren't just there to, for him, basically, that's what he thought, and he even has, like, a little fantasy in the middle of the movie, thinking about how his life with this girl is going to be in the in the wilderness. I think they, they wrote it to be funny, and it's very much like, Over oh, the top. yeah, this is a young boy who doesn't know anything, who doesn't know the ways of the world, and she's just like, oh, what what are you going to kill for me to eat tonight? And I'm just here to wear pretty dresses for you, or whatever. But he still didn't learn anything at the end, and she didn't really stand up for herself or tell him, like, hey, maybe don't treat women like this. I'm not your plaything to have your little trophy, or you know, they were fighting over her, and it's just like she was just this little toy that one wanted and the other couldn't have and it left a bad taste in my mouth and I couldn't connect with the movie so I wanted more Nick Offerman as well and there wasn't that much in there it was entertaining I didn't love it it's not the best coming of age story I agree I think with the the Aaron Moriarty character that we've been referring to Joe's confrontation with her and how he treats her it wouldn't have ruined the movie for me if they had done something with it like you said because in the end they don't even have a resolution with that. It's more interested in him getting his friendship back rather Mm -hmm. than do anything with her character. Yeah. Which I was like, is that all? Yeah, there was no contrition on his part. He didn't reflect back and be like, hmm, you know what? Maybe I should not do that. And he didn't talk to her about it. Whenever they talked to each other at the end, nothing was said and she kind of just was like, it's fine that you did that. Thanks, bye. (laughs) You need to go talk to your friend. I'm like, no, he needs to talk to you. He was such an (laughs) asshole to you. That irritated me a lot. Mm -hmm. But the Nick Offerman stuff, the stuff with his dad was better. Yeah. Even though there wasn't enough of Nick. I think his growth was interesting and how he realized how he had been treating his son was not great. Yeah. He'd been a little bit too tough on him and not really taken into account what he needed as a father figure. Yeah. And Alison Bree's character, who plays his daughter, she also pointed out that he's kind of not pleasant to be around. Mm -hmm. and him just learning that that was nice the side characters are what really make this movie for me such as allison but even the cameos from people like kumail before he was more famous and hannibal burris Mm -hmm. even smaller people who aren't as well known like gillian bigman who plays the person that nick offerman's trying to date at the beginning Mm -hmm. i really liked all of them and they had nice funny moments that enhanced the movie the part that we're supposed to relate with the most the time with the the boys in the Mm -hmm. woods there was fun throughout and it's fun seeing them build this kind of shabby house but it was impressive i could have built some cool clubhouse yeah pretty much only could be done in a movie but (laughs) i I was rolling with it i thought it was fun but like you said biagio was pretty much the best part Mm -hmm. which i really liked him in the king of staten island as well he Mm -hmm. was one of my favorite parts of that movie yeah so he's, he's usually really good whenever i see him it was fine it just 
really let me down compared to all of the talent associated with it. Mm -hmm. It just rubbed me the wrong way. I'm glad that Nick Robinson, who played Joe, has went on to make better stuff, Mm -hmm. such as Love, Simon, which is a lot better. Yeah. But he was such a little shit here. I didn't. He was. He really was. I couldn't handle it. It was too much for me. Yeah. There wasn't enough of a redemption to make it right. Yeah. He just, he basically learned nothing except that I need to talk to my dad and I need to talk to my my bro, I guess, but that's it. And I totally relate to wanting to go out on your own whenever you're you're a kid and in the wilderness and it makes you feel adult and you you can feel like you can do anything. You're out in the wild and you you build this cool house and you've provided shelter for yourself and you're providing food for yourself and you you feel really awesome. And I I get that, but they just didn't do it well for me. They could have done more. It could have been better. Yeah. There were a lot of bigger, more like outlandish situations that didn't seem right for what this film was trying to be. Mm -hmm. I do have to compliment the movie's soundtrack. I was really digging it. Yeah. The MGMT and Youth Lagoon. That made the movie better for me. Yeah. It was just a bit of a letdown after so much hype. (laughs) I think just our own hype. Just This is such a great cast. This is going to be good. I haven't really heard much of anyone talk about this. I've heard a lot of people talk about it and a lot of people really like it. That's that's just... I'm happy for them. Yeah. I wanted to like it, but I didn't love it. (laughs) How do you like them (laughs) apps? Dylan, what is your rating system? Well, I thought long and hard about this. I think my rating system is rotisserie chickens. Mm-hmm. And I didn't hate this movie. It was just a letdown. So I would probably give this two rotisserie chickens out of five. Hmm. What about yourself? I guess I would probably give this two rotisserie chickens out of five. I don't want to give it one and a half because I feel like, especially the production value, it has more to it. But it's also not two and a half for me. So I guess I'll stick with two. If you want to see if you felt the same, this movie is currently available on DVD and Blu-ray, and I cannot find it anywhere digitally. I think it might have something to do with it being a CBS Films production, which is a shuttered movie company now. But if you want to seek it out on DVD or Blu-ray, check it out. See what you think. You said you couldn't see out of your windows. Adam, you might want to give the young lady a call instead of just dropping by. Got a lot of things to say. I have something to show you. Come in, come in. I have this thing that's called Asperger's Syndrome. Oh. Albert Einstein, Thomas Jefferson, Mozart. They had Asperger's? Probably. Adam premiered at Sundance in 2009. It was written and directed by Max Mayer. It stars Hugh Dancy, Rose Byrne, Peter Gallagher, and Amy Irving. Adam, a lonely man with Asperger's syndrome, develops a relationship with his upstairs neighbor, Beth. While learning more about one another, they each step out of their own comfort zones and find this can be liberating in different ways. When we first watched this movie after it came out, I was very excited about it, and I remember being underwhelmed. So I think that helped a little bit with this viewing, but I will say right off the top that I remember really loving the soundtrack whenever we first watched it and that still holds true. It's really perfect. It has uh, the Weepies and Joshua Raiden and it's perfect for giving that really sweet and heartache feel and it's really beautiful. So I really love the soundtrack. This time watching it, it went a little bit better for me. I like this movie but I don't love it and I just think that the writing, it's a little bit messy at points. I think it could be done better and there are things like with the 
Asperger's syndrome where I'm like, okay, everyone's different on the spectrum. So it's probably the case where they're showing kind of like the higher end of the spectrum because they always do. They never show like anything subtle. There's nothing subtle about it. They have to get it across on the movie. Yeah. Like this guy has Asperger's. Yeah. So then it, it can be very formulaic. And mm. I looked at reviews to see people with Asperger's to see like what they say. And the majority of people really like it and they relate to it because they say, hey, that's like me. I can see myself. And there was maybe like one or two that didn't like it because they were saying how it makes them feel like they're trying to show that people with Asperger's or who are on the spectrum, they can't be seen as like a valid romantic partner or they can't be seen as sexual or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like no one would want them that way. And Adam in the movie is very childlike. So it seems like she's thinking of him more as a project kind of at times. Yeah. And she's trying to help him get a new job because he loses his job near the beginning because he's too focused on whatever and they want him to be focused on getting things done mass production on a cheaper level and quantity not quality yeah I think that was just used for plot device or whatever but she's trying to help him find a new job and she tries to help him function more in society and so it's kind of like maybe now he can be a romantic partner because she helped him and stuff so that's kind of uncomfortable like their story together I think is sweet because they care about each other and I like that but I don't know there are just things missing for me I liked that the ending was maybe a little bit more realistic even though they don't really dive down deep into things this movie is a very uncomplicated movie I think but also while I was watching it reminded me of the movie pumpkin which I really like but pumpkin is very dark it is a dark comedy so this is much lighter and it's very much sweeter than pumpkin nice in terms of my feelings on the movie I think this movie is perfectly fine. I like it, but I know that it's not amazing. It's just kind of a good time waster because it never goes substantially into any one area of their lives. Yeah. It's just very much surface level. I appreciate Hugh Dancy in this movie, but I would have preferred if they had somehow been able to not cast a neurotypical person. Yeah, that's because, what I thought. Because that's very uncomfortable. Mm. And the way they handled Asperger's in this movie. As you said, it's very broad, but also just in people's understanding of it. Rose Byrne's character seemingly not knowing anything about Asperger's and having to ask people what it is and mm -hmm. check out books on it in case she wants to consider dating Adam. Yeah. I know this was 2009, but people knew about Asperger's and autism and all of that. Yeah. It seemed too much like they were trying to spoon feed the audience who may not know yeah but it didn't seem realistic for her character who seems fairly put together and is a teacher and has probably dealt with students in her classroom that's what i thought and that's why i was like girl what are you doing <laughs> you you know what asperger's is <laughs> so that was kind of strange also with what you were just saying i think whenever they're spoon feeding the audience i think that's also a way that the audience can kind of feel better about themselves after they watch it because whenever it's done they're like oh wow like i could date a, a person with Asperger's. Wow, I feel good about myself. I think it's a way for the audience, they wanted them to connect that way, but it's too icky. It's not yeah. right. 
One thing that was definitely not right that I know we both reacted yes, to I know what you're gonna say. was when our hero, quote unquote, Rose Burns character, dropped the R word. Yeah. And I looked over at you and I was like, what is this movie? I thought we we're supposed to be beyond this and yeah. not just straight out saying this. It was very uncomfortable. I thought the only reason that they included that was to show her growth because, as you just said, she somehow doesn't know anything about autism and then she uses that word. But then at the end of the movie, she would never use that word. It's very obvious, though. Yeah, and they don't need to do that. She seemed like a not real person. Yeah, she's very much a creation for this movie. Yeah. What was weird is, you know how usually women serve to show the growth of men, the character development, because that's what they're there for. And then the women are flat characters and they have no development. But both of the characters, Beth and Adam, they kind of do that for each other. So Adam is used to develop Beth's character and Beth is used to develop Adam's character. So I found that interesting. Yeah, at least they kind of balance each other out. Another character who was in the movie that really got on my nerves was Peter Gallagher character, Rose Byrne's father, mm-hmm. and all I could think of where else? <laughs> oh, Mr. Eyebrows himself. <laughs> the whole time he was in this movie, I was just wanting Sandy Cohen to pop up instead of what well, we got, this hateful man. Because Sandy Cohen from the OC makes everything better. Yeah. And this guy did not. He's so much more caring. Yeah. He would have been fine with Adam. He would have mm-hmm. welcomed Adam and dating his daughter and not antagonized him. And he was a very one note character and then this movie went into a random subplot with his unethical activities and just kind of seemed very manufactured and out of place with what this movie was trying to do. Yeah, it was making him a lot more villainous. Yeah. In terms of movies in this vein with emotional growth of characters, this is very much, as we've said, very surface level and doesn't really add a lot to the genre but it doesn't get into it as much as it needs to. If you want something without the Hollywood shine and polish, then you can do this one. (laughs) Yeah, it still has its issues. Yeah, for sure. Oh, good for you! And how was it? You know what I want to know. Have you come up with a rating system for this? Yes, I have. My rating system is star maps. And I think I would give this movie two star maps out of five. I was on the edge of saying two and a half, but I think I'll keep it at two. Once again, (laughs) I'm right there with you. This week hasn't been the strongest, (laughs) but I'm right there with you. Two out of five star maps. It's fine. For those who want to see what they think of the movie, the movie is currently available on DVD and digitally. Hi, I'm here to see Emily Stanton. You have an appointment? I'm her best friend. We're not currently what I would say best friends or friends. You look good. You look great. What have you been up to? Let me show you. I've been developing a genetic platform that will allow us to give ordinary people superpowers. What's your superpower? Invisibility. That's awesome. Let's see what these powers can really do. Everyone just stay calm and no one's gonna get hurt. Em, stop! You're cooking them from the inside out! Oh man, please don't film this, sir. It's a mistake! 
Thunder Force premiered on Netflix this year. It was written and directed by Ben Falcom. It stars Melissa McCarthy, Octavia Spencer, Jason Bateman, and Bobby Cannavale. In a world where supervillains are commonplace, two estranged childhood best friends reunite after one devises a treatment that gives them powers to protect their city. So was this movie the best thing I've ever seen? No. Was it pretty predictable? Yes. Was it hilarious? No. But was it mildly entertaining and enough to kind of zone out and have a good time that way? Yeah. And I didn't laugh out loud the whole way through or anything, but there were some moments that made me chuckle and that's fine for me. And the performances, no, they're not the best performances given by these actors. So don't expect great things from this movie. It's a nice little zone out thing just to waste some time and that's fine. And like we've talked about, I think that Melissa McCarthy's husband, Ben Falcone, should stop doing these things they need to stop working together for a little bit because Melissa does have a lot of range and she's very talented. She's good with drama and comedy and I think if she could just get more material that is not her husband's, she would be making better movies and she would have a stronger career, even stronger than it is now. Of course, we all know Octavia is amazing and this is not good material for her. (laughs) They're both better than this, so what are you gonna do? Yeah, you stole the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) Ben, every time they come out with a project together, I know it's not usually going to be great. There are some that are better than others. Mm -hmm. This is definitely a step up from Super Intelligence from last year, which I was not a fan of. I wasn't a huge fan of this, but once again, it was perfectly mindless and okay. It had some good funny moments, but Melissa is so much funnier and they need to stop going for the easy paychecks. I know money is great, but put a little bit more effort into it. You're doing like so many high school students who are just like, C's get degrees. Let's do this. Don't do that with your career. They already have so much money, you know, just kind of take a break. But there's always more money that can be made. Even uh, movies like Tammy and Life of the Party are a lot better than this. Yeah. They can do good things together, but they need to stop for a little bit because it's been a bit too much. Just branch out. Like, can you ever forgive me? Great stuff. Not by Ben. Yeah. And that's a dramatic role for her. So good stuff. Whenever you branch out, you get an Oscar nom, girl. Come on. Right. She even got an Oscar nom whenever she was sticking with comedy for Bridesmaids. Yeah, so, Paul Feig. Yeah. <laughs> you got away money, award success, and acclaim. She's going for that money. Yeah. I want to see more from her because I know how great she is. And I really like her and I'll, I'll always champion her. I do like that this movie, with them being superheroes, they're normies as superheroes. And it, they're like middle-aged women so I think that's pretty cool yeah it was nice it tackled more so friendship than anything else and the importance of sticking together as friends and Mm -hmm. maintaining that relationship the movie around it didn't really support that overall thesis and sentiment as much as it should have there were things I liked such as that actress who played a young Melissa McCarthy both the youngest one and the middle teenage one they were both really good Octavia's younger counterparts were good as well but they were more so the stereotypical nerd like reserved character the younger melissa mccarthy proxies they (laughs) captured some of her mannerisms really well and it made me laugh yeah i agree with that i remember thinking that as we were watching and the characters aren't that developed because i don't know anything that happened to octavia's character uh emily the -hmm. whole time whenever they were apart and they grew up and then she comes back in her life they don't really go into any of that stuff besides the fact that she has a daughter yeah, and with who? I yeah, they don't.
don't go into any of it because she makes it this big secret that she doesn't want to talk about it and she's private and stuff. I don't see why. I don't see the point. I think it would have been a lot better if they would have focused more on their friendship and getting more deep into it. Less the over-the-top, I have superpowers, let's see what I can do tropes. Yeah, and comical villains who are crazy. <laughs> Jason Bateman as <laughs> crab. <The> crab. <laughs> he, he's listed as the crab. Yeah. <laughs> I liked his character because that was all ridiculous and really funny, and I really liked his interactions with Melissa's character. It was ridiculous. He played it very dry, which is, <laughs> I think was perfect for the character. He's just like, yeah, I'm crab over here. Just got my crab hands. Don't help me pick stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was probably the best part of the movie, just because his performance and then the character, how he had all of his trauma and baggage and how he was just like... <laughs> so serious about it like i'm not a child i can pick this up my favorite part was just him repeatedly saying that he got (laughs) clamped on the ball bag (laughs) i was gonna say that ball bag (laughs) that was the best part of the movie for me and they would just throw in random things like a random dance sequence like fantasy dance sequence it wasn't really that amusing and it didn't really move along the story at all so i thought that personally could have been cut it was just thrown in for randomness sake yeah and just to be silly one person it took me a good long while to recognize her was melissa leo because apparently i do not recognize her with long hair (laughs) it always needs to be short and an abrasive haircut (laughs) that she usually has her having long hair really threw me off i was like i know the voice but i do not know who that woman is and i looked it up i was like oh okay i'm used to you being stern as you are in this but more so just the hair different yeah threw me off (laughs) that's funny the clark kent effect yeah (laughs) (laughs) who is this woman (laughs) (laughs) who is this newcomer (laughs) (laughs) she's going places The predictability of this movie is staggering. There was a character, the first time we saw the person on screen, I yelled over to you, he's bad. Yeah. And I was right. Yeah. And it was not a surprise. Yeah. You can easily tell what's going to happen with them. Yeah. Time after time, this movie offered no surprises Mm -hmm. and just maintained the status quo. But as we've said, it's just a victim of the script from, from Ben and I think Melissa usually chimes in on it too but yeah well she's not credited it's all been this time i see she was credited on tammy she wrote with him on that so she sent ben off to a room and was like write me a superhero script and he was like yes ma'am yeah i don't think she did anything with this (laughs) it's enough to get it made but it's just very lazy yeah i was very excited for this one too just because i love melissa and i love octavia so i thought it'd be great i mean i didn't think it'd be great but i thought it'd be better than this knowing that it was ben i was not excited about this i wanted to see melissa and octavia on screen together but even that didn't live up to what it could have been there was also a joke in there with jason bateman yet again because he was probably the funniest part about him saying how the evil people are called miscreants Mm -hmm. and he was saying that he considers himself (laughs) half Korean and there's this whole joke that goes off in it it made me laugh every time <laughs> yes and also his crab walking out of situations yes. always made me laugh I laughed at his that his zoidberging out yeah of... during the that huge fight scene and then he crab walked out 
If Jason Bateman wouldn't have been in this movie, <laughs> it would have been a much poorer movie for it. Yeah, he was definitely the best part for me. Our one plea is just, Melissa, make better choices. And Octavia, girl, you better than this. Yes, you're you're so much better. You you were in Loose. Mm-hmm. You were in Hidden Figures. Come you're, on. Shape of Water. It's all good. You're so great. <laughs> Both of you are great. Now, if any of you sons of bitches got anything else to say, now's the fucking time! So, Jessica, have you come up with a rating system for this? Because I know I have. Yes, I have. I was batting around three, and I've decided on one, and I'm going to go with raw chicken tendies. Oh, yep. (laughs) The easy, gross-out humor (laughs) of Ben Falcone. Nice. I went with horribly disfigured faces. Okay. So, I would give this movie... mm, I don't want to... I'm just doing it. Two's across the board. Two out of five horribly disfigured faces. Okay. I'm going to give it... One and a half raw chicken tendies out of five. Man, I didn't enjoy this as much as I did Adam. Mm-hmm. You're right. This is one and a half. <laughs> People are just going to think I'm codependent and need to well, match you. I wanted to say one, but then I'm like, that's too harsh for Melissa and Octavia. And I feel bad. But I mean, it truly could be one raw chicken tendy out of five chicken tendies. Just the half point is for Jason Bateman alone. Yeah, okay. I can justify that. Okay. So I'm going with one and, one and a half, or at least disfigured faces. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next week when we will be discussing 2011's Another Earth, starring Britt Marling, and 2014's Rudderless, starring Billy Crudup and Anton Yelchin, plus a wild card that you will have to wait to hear about. For those who want to prepare at home, Another Earth is available digitally and on Blu-ray, and Rudderless is available to stream on Prime. If you have any thoughts or opinions about the movies we discussed today or movie suggestions, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at Home Dance Pod. If you feel so inclined, feel free to leave a rating or review. It helps us out. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dylan Gonzalez 2. That's Dylan with one eye. You can also find me publishing reviews almost daily on geekvibesnation.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jessica Narrates. You can also find me contributing to geekvibesnation.com. We are proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll, who can be found at music by andrewcarroll.com. Original artwork for the show is provided by Ben Belcher, who can be found on Instagram at the art of Ben Belcher. I've been Dylan. And I've been Jessica. Sometimes it just needs a little bit of Old Bay seasoning. Bye! Bye. Cheese.